Welcome to 1086 1080 Podcast. We're your hosts. My name is the Alexander, and with me is the ever lively Matt Taylor. We're going to take a few minutes, uh, since this is our premiere episode, to tell you a little bit about our background so you have an idea of who you're talking to. Uh, I spent 29 years on the job, served through the ranks uh, with the state, county, and municipal agencies, from a patrol officer all the way up to chief police. How about you, Matt? Um, just retired after 34 years of law enforcement. Started as a dispatcher, did that for a year, went on the road, South Florida, moved up to Central Florida, and uh, here we are. All right. What was your last duty assignment there when you, before you retired? I was a patrol sergeant. All right. What How'd was you yours? Like that? What was yours? I worked major crimes with a strange guy named Matt Taylor. Oh, <laughs> that guy. Yeah, I think we're going to be covering some great cases we worked together over the, the period of these uh, podcasts. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. I think we did. All right, let's talk about what it's really like in the world of law enforcement. Uh, you know, the perception the public has is what they see on television. You know, everything is uh, gunplay, uh, fight the bad guy, and let's... Uh, breaking the law. Yeah, breaking the law. What, in your mind, is really the true biggest difficulty in the world of law enforcement? It's threefold. You're uh, trying to identify and arrest bad guys. You're dealing with the supervisors and administration and then the perception of the public from what they see on TV. Right. Kind of like uh, people watch uh, CSI and think you can get uh, DNA results back in an hour. That. Um, and then if you're watching certain programs, cops are committing all kinds of violent crimes and it's other okay. crimes. Yeah, in the movies it's all right. Then the perfect examples of watching a show the other night. Girlfriend is watching a detective break into a house, and she goes, "Do you guys really do that?" And we're like, uh, "No, no, no, can't happen." But the public thinks, "Oh, that's okay." And the the crazy part about it, she has law enforcement experience from years back, and she actually asked me that question, which blew my mind. Yeah, because that seems to me. To be the public's perception. Right. That that's an everyday, ongoing thing that cops break the law. We could throw other things into this as well. Um, the media. The media blows everything out of proportion. Um, and I'll give you a great example is the Black Lives Matter part. Mm -hmm. And if you ask the general public how many um, white officers kill black suspects, they're thinking thousands, but let, but yet it's less than hundred most years. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the media is another it, battle that we fight constantly. Right. Again, it's all in the perception. Right. Uh, perception becomes reality rather than reality is reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what else can you say? You know, really. So, what do we do to fix that? Just be yourselves. As, as If you're in law enforcement, just be yourselves, only for the mere fact that the majority of the law enforcement uh, folks are in it f because they want to help. They want to do good. They want to prevent people from getting hurt, protection of life and property and stuff like that. So if – and I give – let me back up because there's been several incidents where – um, again, I just recently retired where people would say, cops, you guys do this, you guys do that. I had a white guy walk up to me with his uh, little girl 
and they said, hey, buddy, do me a favor. Don't walk in the street with her. He actually told me, he goes, you're scaring me. <laughs> I'm like, what? He actually had a meltdown. And this is a grown man, maybe mid-30s, right. telling me I was, I was scaring him, and he felt threatened because I asked him not to walk in the street with his daughter. Wow. I don't know what else to say, but wow. But the reality was I had a moment to talk to him, and I explained to him that's, that's not what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we don't have a lot of time to explain ourselves or our actions to the general public because uh, most law enforcement agencies are real low on um, patrol. Mm-hmm. And I think when I left this agency, I think they were down, on average, it was like 45 deputies. Um, and then to bring it above average, they would have met, needed 75 deputies just to get, keep up with the national average. Mm-hmm. But think about that. Any agency that's down 75 um, patrol deputies or officers, they're kind of hurting. Sure. And that means they're moving. So they don't, like you say, they don't have time to spend time to right. just chit-chat and share, this is why we did what we did. Right. Um, and then to... Add insult to injuries. You got supervisors that think that most um, they forget where they come from, mm-hmm. and that's the unfortunate part about it. You move up in rank, you forget who you are, what you've done in the past, and then you think that one or two officers can perform miracles. The reality is, with the majority of changes in laws and the requirements for law enforcement. Um, to fulfill your obligation as a law enforcement officer, you're going to have to take a little bit more time than what it used to be back in the, say, in the 70s when you started. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe it was the 80s, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, to 1979, fulfill... 1979, actually, yeah. Oh, cool, I nailed it. Um, <laughs> but back then it was different compared to what it is today. There's so much expected from an individual officer than what it was back then. Therefore, you're trying to fulfill your obligations, your legal obligations to handle certain calls, but yet you're having call on calls backed up, and then you got a supervisor that unfortunately forgets um, that he's, in these, he's at putting all that additional stress on these patrol officers. And then in there, um, you'll come up with um, mistakes, um, something's forgotten, stuff like that, only because of the, the pressure of your supervisors. Right. It seems like in a lot of cases they're more worried about instead of doing what's right for their people, they're more interested in that next promotion. Right. You know, And that's a shame because I think if you're doing right by your people, that next promotion comes naturally. Well, it, it depends on who you know. Yeah, true. That, that's a sad part about that. Uh, you know, sometimes people talk about the good old boy network. Um, and a lot of the smaller agencies that exist, and it's, it's horrible. Right. Well, also in your small agencies, you have a lot less opportunity for promotion. Right. Because the positions just aren't there. Well, the flip side of that is, on your extremely large um, agencies, and hypothetically, we'll just use Miami-Dade as an example. This is not a dig on Miami-Dade whatsoever. But they have so many employees, everybody just goes on the list. There's no individual knowledge of that person, um, no personal knowledge of that person. He's just a number. Right. I say he, mean he and she. Um, 
they're just a number, and then when a promotion list comes available, if you're on the list, you're getting promoted, whether you're deservant of that or not. And that in itself causes issues. All right, let's kind of get back to the original question there. What is it we can do to fix these things? Um, educate the public. I think once we educate the public on the burdens that we're continuously dealing with, um, the talking heads, that all they do is just talk shit about law enforcement. Um, understanding supervisors that, that actually recall what it is to work on the road, I think does that's where you basically start. But ultimately, it's in your heart as an officer, a deputy, or whatever your title is. It's in your heart to take the time out to explain to the public what we do. If you have the time. Mm -hmm. Now that kind of segues out into one of the things you see is a big movement in law enforcement is towards supervisors having education as opposed to experience. Yeah. Is that a good trend or a bad trend in your mind? It depends. If you're an egotistical chief, sheriff, it's a good thing. But if you're actually working out on the road with these younger deputies, and the unfortunate part about it is there's some agency has policies where if you have a degree three years on the road, you can promote. But the reality is that shouldn't happen less than five years, um, only for um, experience and training and stuff like that. How can you provide knowledge to somebody um, that's got 10 years experience and you're only a Let's say you're a sergeant with three years' experience, but golly, you got that damn Piece education. Of paper. <laughs> <laughs> and most of them are bought online anyway, it seems like. Right. Well, and I'm not taking, don't misunderstand, I'm not, again, I'm not cutting down on people's education. I'm just saying the reality is you can go online or have somebody like write your papers and you'll never ever see a damn classroom. Right. And you're still getting that education. Well, you know, to me, it's it's one of those things as a chief, I always looked at, I'd rather have a supervisor who's been there, done it, than been there and read about it. Uh, because unless you have the work experience and life experience to apply towards any given situation, you really don't have the tools available to you to resolve it properly. I agree. So I think uh, the, that trend towards education being the determining factor is leading us down the wrong road. Some agencies require that you have to have um, a degree, uh, at least associates, to mm -hmm. to advance forward. Right. The unfortunate part about it is the majority of the guys and girls that are in this profession love what they do. Um, they're raising families. They're make, getting shit pay. And now it's expected that they're going to get an education so they can advance or promote. And it sucks. Right. And I think that I agree with that. I, I don't have an issue with education being applied towards promotion, but it needs to be balanced with sufficient uh, experience as well. I agree. You know, you shouldn't be, okay, I can have this much education and replace this much experience. It doesn't work that way. No. Education, I don't care how much it is, can replace experience. It just doesn't happen. And, and let's go ahead and explain to the folks that are listening. You have to go through the police academy. So I'm not saying that we got a bunch of incompetent people coming out on the road, give them a gun and a badge, and like, hit it. Right. But it's continu You have to have 
at least the high school diploma or equivalent. Um, you have to go through and pass the academy. And it's a continual education. So I, I don't want to push the part that, you know, we're not educated. Absolutely. Because you're getting, you're educated before you even step out on the road. And then you go to a, a field training officer program for whatever that agency. I believe the last time it was six months. And that's a long time. That's a lot of training with a lot of guys that have experience. Mm -hmm. But what I'm talking about is <clears throat> education as far as advancement and promotion. Right. And the unfortunate part about it is if you don't have the experience, you can't apply it. So. Right. Because, for example, how does an art history degree help you in the world of law enforcement? Because oh, it can... You could paint a perfect picture. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what we need now. There we go. It's more of a perfect picture. All right, Matt, let's get into a little bit of what future podcasts are going to involve. Um, I think we're going to talk about some cases that we handled during our six-year partnership with the Major Crimes Unit. Sound like a good idea to you? I'm liking it. All right. Any ones in particular that you can think of that we'll start with? Eh, we have a whole host of them. So <laughs> okay. I believe um, if we're able to get some interview material they could see the difference uh, between you and I and our techniques um, because not one technique nails it it takes uh, several um, how you're so reserved and talking to people and I'm just surprised myself whatever comes out of my mouth those <laughs> type shoes. of things <laughs> pulled from the hip <laughs> right um, and we can talk anything from armed robberies to homicides well, I, I like the one we can we can title it. I think uh, murder. Does that make me a bad guy? Well, he was fun. Yes, he was a joy. Or I've got snakes in my belly. I think that was the first homicide we worked together. I think it was too. It was probably the longest. Oh, it felt like it. Yes. So that was, that was a that was a joy. It was a real joy. But uh, I think uh, folks out there, our listeners, will get a big kick out of listening to some of these cases that we worked during our time together with the major crimes unit but before we end here today i want to just uh take a moment to uh have maybe a moment of silence for the last line of duty death from this past week which was a police officer logan medlock from the london kentucky pd he was hit by a drunk driver and killed in the line of duty after four years of service if we could just have a few seconds of silence for his loss Okay, thank you. Officer Medlock, your sacrifice will never be forgotten. Well, we want to thank you for joining us this week on the 1086-10A podcast. We look forward to you listening to us next time, so stay tuned.